0: We'll mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to the podcast of tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is our episode number 122, recorded on June 18th, 2019. Today we will talk about the lots of money going into battery production, urban farming in Europe, the future of the European Union's tech and competition policy, smart enough city and much more. We have also prepared a pre-recorded interview with Matthew Williams at the founder of the Faraday Grid. I am your host, Andre today as usual by our research lead, Natalie Novik. Hi, hey, Natalie. Good morning.
1: Hi, Andre. Great to see you.
0: Was a bit of a sarcastic uh, uh, note, really, because right now it's half past four for me, and uh, what is it for you? Seven o'clock ish.
1: Uh, it's eight thirty now, but we uh, but early start for me this morning, about six a.m., which is normal.
0: Are you still jet lagged almost a month after coming back to the U.S.?
1: I am a little bit because I really want to stay up to date with what's happening in Europe. And I miss all the really good Twitter feeds when I'm nine hours different. So I try to stay up pretty late or wake up early so I can catch them.
0: You're so big on Twitter, actually. I think you're much bigger on Twitter than I am. So is it actually helping? Do you actually get a lot of value from uh, being uh, watching the feed so closely?
1: I think I do. And I use a lot of Twitter lists. I think I have over 60 different Twitter lists on geography, different tech verticals. And it's always really great to kind of pop into those once in a while and kind of see different slices of the tech ecosystem from there from those different vantage points i really enjoy that
0: right what's your client of choice
1: oh i'm just on web or mobile i'm usually reading twitter on my phone most of the time
0: oh okay i hope not when uh walking around
1: no no
0: <laughs> great Right, so let us see what has happened uh, p- last week and what we wanted to talk about. I will start uh, with my uh, story for the week, and uh, I wanted to uh, take a closer look at the biggest deal of uh, last week, and that's. Uh, and uh, Northvolt uh, raising 900 million euros uh, from Volkswagen Group uh, for its own uh, battery gigafactory of sorts. So the company is co-founded by people who used to work at Tesla. Uh, so I suppose they do know what they're doing. And the plan is now to build a factory in the middle of nowhere uh, in Sweden, and then build another one in uh, Germany. And the Germany part, as far as I understand, is uh, mostly why uh, Volkswagen decided to uh, go for it uh, in the first place. Uh, Part of this funding, part of this 900 million, uh, will go directly to Northvolt. And uh, thanks to this, uh, Volkswagen will own uh, 20% of the company and have one seat on its board. And then the rest of the money is uh, earmarked for a joint venture between uh, Northvolt and uh, Volkswagen uh, to build a battery factory in Germany. It will be located next to Volkswagen's manufacturing facility in uh, Salzgitter. Uh, that's in Lower Saxony, close to Hanover, sort of north from the very middle of uh, of the country. So, uh, Northvolt will start uh, building the Swedish factory later this year. It uh, also expects to start producing batteries in uh, 2021 and the capacity should eventually reach 32 gigawatt hours. And I will talk about the numbers a little bit later so you will understand uh, if it's uh, uh, a lot or not a lot or enough or not enough. So, as for the German Side though, uh, the construction will start in 2020, maybe even later, and then the production is set to begin in 2023 or 2024. And then the capacity of uh, this one will be 16 gigawatt hours, uh, with a possibility to ramp it up to 24 gigawatt hours. So this is really good news for Europe in general, of course, and I do think that we're going to see even more battery manufacturers emerge around here. Uh, The money is definitely there. Uh, The European Commission has allocated uh, $1 billion for uh, battery projects as part of the Horizon 2020 framework. And uh, there almost certainly will be more allocated in the framework that comes afterwards. And then the European Investment Bank, uh, the EIB, is also willing to invest in this domain. Uh, So the money is definitely there. And uh, the reasons uh, why Europe wants more battery production are... Quite obvious, I would uh, guess, because with so many car makers, car manufacturers, we don't want to depend on the Asian manufacturers of batteries. And right now, most of the car batteries are coming uh, from that uh, part of the world. However, and here we come back to the numbers, uh, what we have and what Northvolt is going to be building, it's not even close to being enough uh, uh, for Volkswagen, that is. Because if Volkswagen uh, keeps uh, ramping up electric car production uh, with the pace that it wants to, it will need more than 150 gigawatt hours of capacity per year, starting from 2025. So this joint venture with Northvolt would only account for some 15% of its needs so basically uh, less than one-sixth of uh, all it needs and that's just one car maker and uh, we have uh, uh, more uh, companies uh, around europe so what i see here generally is a huge market uh, which however is uh, Quite tough to work on. You need a massive amount of money to start. You need to already start uh, in, in a in a ridiculously large scale, and plus you need the sort of expertise that's not exactly easy to come by in Europe, right? And uh, as I already said before, uh, there is quite some money ready to be invested already. So I guess we'll just need more people with experience in industrial battery manufacturing. That's totally uh, their uh, their time to shine. And uh, we should certainly uh, see uh, more people, uh, more companies uh, emerging, emerging around Europe. Natalie, what is your take?
1: Well, electric cars are only going to become more and more popular as they become more accessible and there already are a lot of small startups working on batteries and energy storage in Europe and so i think there's going to be a lot of competition for that EIB funding and also that Horizon 2020 funding for for battery technologies so i'm i'm really looking forward to see who actually um is successful at at, at getting that that sort of funding
0: do you think i, I can't really remember just uh uh, from the top of my head, but do we have any examples of uh, these uh, battery startups that have already scaled to like industrial sort of uh, level?
1: There are a few examples of startups that are working on this technology and several that are also working with corporates um, in partnership. So in terms of scaling, I know there are some joint ventures that are out there, but we need to I would need to look those up.
0: Right. Let's do the research afterwards and maybe put together a piece for uh, for TechEU on that. Sounds good. Now, what's uh, what's your story of the week, Natalie? What do you want to talk about?
1: Yeah. So what I'm going to talk about today is a topic that um, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that I'm very excited about. And it's particularly interesting because it's been getting a lot of attention recently so I'm talking about urban farming and it was inspired by one of your stories that you reported earlier this week uh, Andre where you shared how Berlin's InFarm has raised a new 100 million round led by Atomico. So InFarm is a company that develops urban farming technologies and they've worked directly with retailers to offer indoor solutions to grow different types of crops. They currently operate in Germany and Switzerland and scaled to France last November. So this 100 million euro round, according to my research, is the largest investment into the indoor farming space in Europe thus far. So it's a big deal as indoor farming is is an aspect of technology that's seen a lot of excitement and subsequently investment. And it seems to be something that's really on the cusp being able to scale considerably. Current solutions for indoor or vertical farms haven't been really quite able to realize the food needs of urban populations just yet. And a number of challenges remain to making vertical or indoor farming a profitable and viable solution. This is partly due to the energy requirements, which are considerable, kind of similar to the case with electric car batteries. First, you need very high input of capital, and as well as developing some strains of crops that can grow well hydroponically indoors. So as someone that's done a bit of urban indoor gardening myself, there are currently only a few types of crops that lend themselves well to farming indoors. And there's a lot of variables that urban farmers need to work out to scale this further. But it's clear from the investor point of view, it's only a matter of time before fruits and vegetables grown indoors in a clean environment close to where they'll be consumed, will become the norm. What's really exciting is that in Europe, we have a number of compelling startups and research organizations innovating in this space. InFarm was one of the first. They were founded in Berlin in 2013, And if you've been around the startup ecosystem there for any amount of time, they'll be well known to you as they put up a number of installations and different co-working spaces around the city. I remember there was one in the old beta house for a long time. Today, the company employs about 250 people. Elsewhere in Europe, Agricool, which is based in Paris, they raised 25 million euros last December for their urban farm concept, which grows strawberries in shipping containers. Their products are commercially available now. And in February, Russia's iFarm, which is not to be confused with InFarm, raised investment to increase their capacities and scale to the EU. The potential in this space has also encouraged players from other markets to get involved. Earlier this month, we shared how Ocado, the UK-based grocery delivery company, has invested $22 million into a new vertical farming venture named Infinite Acres. The new outfit is a joint venture with vertical farming companies, 80 Acres Farms, and Priva Holding, that's based in the Netherlands. Entity will hold a third of the equity of that company. Ocado has also recently announced it has acquired a 58% stake in the UK's largest vertical farm, which is called the Jones Food Company, and they're based in the north of England. So urban farming has never been hotter or more visible. And today, as I was researching this story, I received a news alert that Scottish vertical farm startup Intelligent Grow Solutions has just raised a 5.4 million pound round of funding from a consortium of American investors. Last week, London's Growing Underground, which grows salads and microgreens in disused air raid shelters, began shipping their salad mixes to places like Marks & Spencer and Tesco. But it's not just startups and investors that are supporting the urban indoor green revolution. We're also seeing big moves by policymakers and government to develop more sustainable indoor farming solutions in an effort to reduce carbon emissions and to help make communities more sustainable and self-sufficient. On Monday, Hungary's agriculture minister announced the development of a 1 billion euro greenhouse city, combining both indoor food production and carbon neutral housing. Developments built with similar themes are also popping up in places like Italy and in the Netherlands. So you find companies working to unlock the urban farming concept in just about every market in Europe. So it's an exciting place to watch and to continue to see grow. And I think it's only a matter of time before most of us in Europe will be consuming fresh greens and vegetables that were grown in an urban setting. And it's certainly within close reach. And I'm looking forward to seeing that become a reality.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. So uh, you said uh, you said that uh, like not all the plants can be grown uh, in the urban environment, right? Do do you know what exactly is uh, like uh, what you what you cannot grow that you want to grow? Like, do you know what the biggest challenge here would be?
1: Right. So some of the most profitable crops that are currently grown in an urban setting tend to be um, salads, lettuces, microgreens, and now we're seeing what's a microgreen. Microgreen is kind of um, like sprouts or kind of the initial shoots of, of different vegetables that are used in salads or sandwiches or different sort of things. Now we're also seeing um, tomatoes being grown. In Farm does tomatoes. iFarm's doing tomatoes. And also Okado's new venture also doing tomatoes indoors. Um, Agricool, as I mentioned, is does strawberries. And these are all different types of foods that are actually are profitable in, in the urban setting. But other types of things such as melons or things that require lots of water or lots of sun and lots of heat and lots of space to grow, such as squash and, and different types of vegetables, that's a bit harder to, to grow indoors. And the kind of profit margin for growing those sorts of things doesn't necessarily tip in the way of, of doing it indoors versus growing in a more conventional method.
0: Right. And so also all these uh, all these plants they have reasonably short uh, cycle, right? Because yeah, I don't I wouldn't really imagine having like potatoes grown this way.
1: I'm not sure um if anyone has tried to do that yet. Um but that would be a very exciting exciting thing to do. I think but because potatoes are grown um, conventionally in so many different places across Europe. I don't know if that's going to be one that's high on the list, but things that when it comes to harvesting um, require kind of more of a precision touch, like strawberries um, really need to be and harvested by hand. That's something that actually works very well in an urban setting where you have kind of raised planters and, and you have kind of a lot of, of human capital and, and that's working Um in these spaces makes a lot more sense
0: right so urban farming insect-based proteins all the future of food happening right here
1: that's right
0: now i didn't really notice but it seems like most of our podcast today uh, revolves uh, around sustainability one way or the other from batteries to urban farming and now uh, the interview that we have prepared uh, that uh, robin Vauters. Uh, recorded earlier is with matthew williams who is the founder of the faraday grid and this again brings us to the topic of energy and uh, revolutionizing uh, the way that uh, energy is distributed so let's listen to uh, this one and we'll be right back uh, with the events and recommendations
2: So, hey, this is Elvin Walters for TechW, sitting down with Matthew Williams, who's the founder and CTO of a company called Faraday Grid. Um, What can you
3: tell us about Faraday Grid? Faraday Grid is going to enable the energy system of the future. We have an innovative new technology, which is going to allow us to upgrade the old electricity grid to a grid which can have much more renewables whilst maintaining the reliable and affordable energy we need. That sounds really interesting, but what's
2: wrong with the existing current uh, electric system?
3: So, as our needs have changed, we're now prioritising decarbonisation of the system. It's no longer enough to have reliable and affordable energy. We want it to be clean as well. And that's changing the way that we generate energy. In the physics of the electricity system, this is changing the power flows and the grid wasn't designed to work in this way.
2: Right, And maybe before we go to the actual uh, solution, maybe tell us a bit more about uh, the background of the company. Um, You sort of sound like an Australian when you're based in the case. Maybe walk us through the the sort of the history of the company.
3: I I am indeed an Australian. The the company uh, initially started in Australia. I was working for a systems integration company that we had a number of the large utilities as clients and started to see that as renewable energy increased within the the system, that there was going to be issues in the physics and economics of energy. That drove me and, and my fellow founders to establish Faraday Grid, go back to first principles, look at what the energy system of the future might need to look like and work backwards from that to figure out how we can achieve Great. And how
2: is that brought to the UK?
3: So we decided that as a company, Australia was a great place in terms of large electricity grids and renewable energy. uh, But we would need in order to succeed as a, as a technology innovation company, advanced manufacturing and, and a finance sector that supported our type of company. And we decided that the UK and, and Europe would be a better place for our type of company to grow.
2: Great. Um, you told me earlier you're in pre-commercial stage, um, just still prototyping building. But can you tell us a little bit more about
3: the specifics of the solution that you're providing? Yes, certainly. So we are we've validated externally validated our our technology um, through through uh, independent testing partners. We're now in the process of commercialising the technology. Great. Um, do you
2: have any funding in place to sort of support the uh, you know, the many you know, research and the resources that you need
3: for that? Yes, certainly. We've we've had a a number of of capital investment rounds. Uh, most recently, Adam Neumann, the founder of WeWork, invested in us for twenty five million pounds. Great. Uh, how many people work for Friday Grid today? Uh, it would be between two and 300. We're, we're growing very fast and, and globally as well. So we have presence in the UK uh, as well as North America and the Czech Republic here in the EU. Great. And we're meeting here in Brussels, so what brings you here? Here for uh, a number of media interviews, but also here obviously being the, the home of the EU Parliament, meeting with some of the, the ministers and policymakers to bring awareness of, about our technology and the future it can enable.
2: Great. Um, just out of interest, how does that help you? Because I assume your customers are going to be mostly utility companies and not governments. Um, so why meet with policymakers in the first place?
3: I think that policy has the power to shape the energy future that we have. Uh, we're certainly not here looking for funding. There's no specific changes in policy that we require. But as a business, we want to make the utilities and policymakers aware of the new opportunities for the electricity system and spread the message of, of what we can enable. Um, so maybe going back to the actual product uh, that
2: you're um, building, which I guess is called Faraday Exchanger, if I'm not incorrect?
3: Yes, yeah, so Faraday right Exchanger. Is... Okay. So
2: what does it actually do? Can you plug it into an existing grid and what will it change and how
3: will it work? Yes, yeah, so the Faraday Exchanger is designed to be a drop-in replacement for a transformer. Um, it's done this way so it can be incrementally put into the existing electricity grid uh, through existing capital replacement cycles. But in, inside, it's it's not. A transformer. It still has an electromagnetic core, it still drops into the grid and is connected in the same way, but we're able to monitor the power flowing through the device and control the power flow in the magnetic domain. And that's one of the ways that we're completely unique.
2: Great. Um, you mentioned renewable energy and that it needs to work with the existing system uh, in a good way. Can you elaborate
3: on that a little bit? Yes, yeah, so As we increase the amount of renewable energy, because it's the technical term is asynchronous, but it it provides the power, but it doesn't provide the stability that thermal generation has in the past. So at an electricity system level, we're having to procure balancing services to maintain the stability, reliability of the electricity grid. Faraday Grid as a platform is able to provide that stability, those balancing services from within the grid itself. So rather than having to pay. External uh, external generators or, or batteries supplies to to provide that balancing service. Faraday Grid can do it from within the grid, which means we can do it at the lowest marginal cost. So you just um, referred to Faraday Grid as a platform company. Uh, what does that mean? So Faraday Grid is an enabling technology uh, where we're looking to enable an energy ecosystem in the future, where we can have more renewable energy, where uh, batteries can can play their role, where smart grids can can play their role. So, in that sense, Faraday Grid is a, a new platform; it's a new way for the electricity system to work. Great. Um, you
2: mentioned you're based in the UK. You're actually headquartered in Edinburgh at the moment. Yes. Um, why Edinburgh, and how uh, does that uh, help you? Uh, you know, sort of further the company.
3: Yeah, so we, we covered a bit earlier that um, the, rather than building the company up in Australia, that the UK and Europe was, was going to be a great place for us to base. Edinburgh specifically, the, the central belt of Scotland has a, a number of good universities with diverse backgrounds in, in power systems and, and power electronics. And it, it provides a really good location for us to work with uh, the best and brightest in the field.
2: Fantastic. Well, very interesting company. Thank you so much for stopping by and enjoy the rest of your uh, trip to
3: Brussels. Thanks so much, Robin.
0: Hello, welcome back to the podcast of tech.eu, episode number 122, recorded on the 18th of June, uh, 2019. We are about to continue our today's agenda, and uh, let's look at the events that are still still coming up. Uh, Natalie, what are you looking forward to? What have you seen?
1: Yeah, so this week, I want to highlight two different types of events that are among some of my favorite types of things that happen in the startup ecosystem. So the first, which is taking place next week from June 25th to 28th, is Techstars Startup Week in Torino, Italy. The event will include more than 25 different keynotes, workshops, and networking events. And it will even include an appearance by Techstars co-founder Brad Feld of the Foundry Group. This event is serving as a kickoff of an upcoming series of activities for Techstars taking place in Torino, which we've reported about on the site. So if you're in town, go check that out. Or if not, check out the article that Andre did on the website. And the second event I want to highlight this week takes place in Warsaw on June 26th, which is Brink Poland's Demo Day. They'll be showcasing the second batch of their acceleration program that's completely devoted to hardware. And this is a pretty interesting program, and I've been following it ever since they set it up last year. Brink is an investment company that began with an accelerator program in Hong Kong, and they've since been scaling and growing rapidly. They now have two programs in Europe, in Warsaw and also in Barcelona. So I'm looking forward to learning a bit more about the companies that will come out of that program. So if you're in Warsaw, make sure you have a chance to check that out. So these are just a few things on the calendar. And if you're looking for more things to do this month, check out the event section of our website. And if you have a suggestion to add, let us know at the link in the show notes and add your own event. I
0: don't understand. The end of June was supposed to be like such a calm and quiet and uh, half dead uh, time in terms of events. And still I'm going to spend uh, the whole, the entire next week uh, on uh, at two different w- events uh, in Norway and then in Germany. And then there is also at least the Techstars event that I would also love to go to, but I just uh, can't make it, unfortunately. So it seems like there is still some like distribution taking place. But uh, there is just not enough months for all the tech events to be spread out enough.
1: And what's really frustrating is sometimes like next week, I think there's five or six different events that I know of that are taking place concurrently. And then there's some weeks where there's just not so much going on. And I think finding a way to kind of better coordinate activities would be of a lot of value to people in the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Well, I will be next uh, week at uh, Pirate Summit. And then before the Pirate Summit, there is another event called Movers and Shakers. And that's mostly for ecosystem builders and uh, also for people who organize events. So I hope to talk to at least uh, some of them and see whether there is any way to kind of come together and talk about it and try to at least somehow organize the uh, dates uh, of the event so that people could actually make it to more than one.
1: And it's not just that people can make it to more than one. It's that each event can get kind of the media and the attention that they all deserve. Because when you have a lot of things going on at the same time, uh, things tend to get lost, obviously. And it'd be great to be able to give equal attention to all the really exciting things that are happening across the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, indeed. So to wrap up the topic of the events, if you are In Norway at the beginning of next week and uh, in Cologne at the end of next week, that is at uh, Startup Extreme and uh, Pirate Summit respectively, do let me know and uh, let's have a coffee, let's uh, talk, I will be there uh, looking for stories and for new connections. Now, let's move on uh, to the recommendation part of the podcast. So my recommendation for today, it's a really long read, but it's a very important piece uh, written by Natasha Lomas on TechCrunch. It's titled, Where is the EU going on tech and competition policy? So it's really in the name. So it's a really comprehensive piece that outlines what's about to happen soon like how the new European Commission will work and who will become the new president of the Commission and what decisions will have to be made by the Commission in the near future. And this is arguably one of the most challenging times, uh, I think, for the Commission in many ways. Uh, including the questions regarding technology uh, that ranges from uh, misinformation to 5g adoption to taxation of the big tech companies so a lot of decisions that need to be made and they all have to be made as soon as possible so if you're interested in this kind of thing check out Natasha's piece uh, for a great uh, overview of what's uh, on the commission's plate right now I uh, will put will uh, a link in the show notes Natalia, what did you want to recommend today
1: Yeah. So that sounds like a great recommendation, Andre. And this week, I want to recommend a book uh, that I've been reading. It's really interesting. It's called Smart Enough City, and it's written by Ben Green and published by the MIT Press. In the book, he talks about the growth of technology in our urban environments and our daily lives and highlights some of the pitfalls of how an increasing reliance on these tools can actually produce more harm than good. Here he argues for this smart enough city somewhat of a middle ground between the full embrace of smart city solutions and the importance of having a conscious awareness of some of the downsides. And he highlights how technology can help make a city more just and democratic, but at the same time create barriers for certain segments of society. It's a really interesting read. I'm really enjoying it. And it's very well balanced for both sides and provides a lot of food for thought and tons of really interesting arguments. And thanks to some generous donations, the book is actually available online via open access, so you can read it for free. And the MIT Press has actually made the entire series that this book comes in called the Strong Ideas Series available for free to read online. And there's other books that you can read about the sharing economy and the quantified self. So if those topics are interesting to you, I would encourage you to have a look at those. And it's a great time for summer reading. And um, it's great. It's Free, free to read um, in your browser. So check that out if it sounds interesting to you.
0: Looks like smart city is uh, kind of repeating the whole sort of uh, trajectory that many other technologies uh, do in our society. First, we are embracing uh, it uh, with uh, a lot of eagerness, and now suddenly we're starting to thinking, okay, so what, what, uh, what could be wrong with this, and why should we maybe not uh, be as eager as we started?
1: Yeah. And I think it's it's it does a very good job in not being too critical. What it does really nicely is kind of lay out the different arguments and it really encourages people to be very conscious about how we proceed adopting and incorporating these technologies into our cities. Because it's often difficult to put the genie back in the bottle once you kind of let it out
0: right i'm gonna I'm certainly gonna try to carve out some time to read it maybe uh, with all the train rides and uh, uh, plane uh, planes that I will be taking next week, maybe maybe I will be able to read at least some of it uh, to see the argument because uh, this is one of the topics that I'm really I'm really interested in. Now, this is time to wrap it up. That's it for today's podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. If you are not a subscriber yet, do subscribe today on your favorite podcast app. And if you are listening on iTunes, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others find the show. And also this is the only feedback channel that we have. So if you like us, do a review and leave us a rating. Tell a friend or colleague about the podcast if it's relevant for them and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done awesomely by SoundPulse. That's sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at, at tech.eu and Natalie at tech.eu. Natalie, thank you so much for getting up so early to uh, talk to me today. Thanks a lot.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And thanks for having me again, Andri.
0: Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week. And I'll talk to you next Wednesday.
1: Bye-bye. We'll be right